You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today we are welcoming Dr. Pooja Lakshmi. Dr. Pooja is a reproductive psychiatrist, a professor, and she's been published in the New York Times, Harper's Bazaar, Bustle. She runs a popular Instagram page called The Woman's Mental Health Doc, and today she is here to talk to us about prevention of postpartum depression and anxiety. Now, I get asked this question a lot. If I've experienced anxiety and depression before, does that mean I'm guaranteed to experience it in the postpartum period? Or if I've had postpartum depression or anxiety with a baby before, am I guaranteed to have it with my second? So we go there, we talk about the research and the contributing factors to postpartum depression, and we go deep into some things that you can do to help prevent, support, and take care of yourself leading into this vulnerable period. Before jumping into the interview, I just want to read you the review of the week. And this review comes to us from HWAL17. It says, Mama to two. Erica isn't afraid to have the hard, brutally honest conversations most of society tiptoes around. I have personally grown so much from the topics she's covered in this podcast. The resources Erica provides have helped me more than I'm able to put into words. Thank you so much for this amazing review. I've been receiving so many messages in the past weeks from people in Jordan and, you know, overseas all over the world talking about how this podcast helps them to feel heard, understood, less alone, and really puts words to the things that they've been feeling and experiencing. You guys are the reason I do this podcast. You need to know that you are not alone and that we are in this together. Let's hear from Dr. Pooja and all the insights she has to share with us today. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Pooja, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so happy to have stumbled upon you on Instagram, and I see your following is growing quite quickly because you just put out such amazing resources and information for moms. So thank you for joining us. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here and uh, really excited to chat more about postpartum depression and prevention and uh, what, what women can do to really set themselves up for success. Such a fascinating field. And like, obviously, this is my passion. So like, (laughs) I'm here for all the details and all the information I can get. Mm -hmm. So you are a reproductive psychiatrist. Uh, We've had a reproductive psychiatrist on before, which was cool. Dr. Kristen, she was here to talk about medications. But today we're here to talk about prevention of postpartum depression, if that's even a possibility, what that looks like. Uh, But before we get to that, one of the things I learned about you that I'm absolutely obsessed with is the fact that 
you are both a psychiatrist who like prescribes, obviously, because you're an MD, but also who does therapy with their clients. And that is a rare find these days. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into that and how that came about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I actually know Dr. Lasseter and she's awesome. And I saw that she was on here a few months ago. So that makes me really happy. And hopefully we can kind of, I can piggyback off of all of the great information that she provided. Um, Yeah. So I am a perinatal psychiatrist and I also do psychotherapy. And, you know, the reason that I, the reason that I went to medical school was because I wanted to do women's health. Um, And then I did my OB residence or my OB rotation. I was like, you know what? I really actually like, I don't like being in the OR. I like talking to patients. And that's what really draws me to doing therapy as well. I just really love getting to know people. I, I, I'm a huge believer in psychotherapy. I've been in my own psychotherapy. Uh, It's something that is incredibly beneficial in terms of not only healing from things like depression and anxiety, but also just increasing your quality of life and building the life that you want to have. And so to be able to offer that to patients, to me, is just, you know, it's why I went into psychiatry. So yes, the medication piece can be very important for some patients, but, uh, psychotherapy is equally as important. And um, that that's something I feel really strongly about. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love that you really have the perspective and the ability con- to conceptualize from both places and from like a one professional to another being able to think and conceptualize. I love to consult with reproductive psychiatrists or psychiatrists for that assessment piece and, and just different pieces of the puzzle when you're trying to understand you know, at length working with a client. So I I love Mm -hmm. that. I value that you've got both perspectives. I think that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all kind of come from slightly different lenses. And so when you put that all together in a treatment team, I think it's super valuable for patients. Yeah. Okay. Last therapy question before we move on. Do you have like a, I know I'm just such a nerd about this stuff. I love it. Do you have a particular type of style of therapy that you tend to gravitate more towards? Yeah. So from a training standpoint, I was trained mostly in a psychodynamic model. Um, But after training, I did a little bit more exploring around acceptance and commitment therapy, which I really, really enjoyed. And so I think my the type of therapy that I do is a bit of a hybrid, it is more conversational and and a bit more rooted in psychodynamic theory, and exploration. But I really try and incorporate components from the ACT model as well. Yeah, I love ACT. It's something that I'm learning more about these days. I really, really love that that acceptance piece and the value piece that mm-hmm. comes with it. Mm-hmm. I'm really big on on discovering and being guided by your values. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find the same for me. And the more I'm in the field and the more approaches I learn, the more eclectic I feel like I become yep. overall, right? Right. So I think that's kind of the beauty and the growth of, of a therapist. So very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. So postpartum depression. Now I talk a lot about this on my Instagram page, but I haven't really unpacked it on the podcast as much or as in greater detail. So where shall we start? I feel like there is a lot here. So <laughs> postpartum depression in a in a bit of a snapshot. Why don't we start with the symptoms and a little bit of a snapshot of what postpartum depression is? Sure. 
and kind of distinguishing it from the baby blues a little Mm -hmm. bit, and Mm -hmm. then we'll move into some of the other factors. Sure. So, you know, I think, and this is something that I talk about on my Instagram page too, you know, how do you tell the difference between the baby blues? Because we know that the transition to motherhood and having a newborn is such a difficult time. So I think one of the biggest pieces that moms uh, struggle with is how to know when what you're feeling, you know, kind of seeps over into the clinical range versus when it's just typical struggles that you'll go through because of sleep deprivation and, you know, mm-hmm. having a newborn attached to you. So the baby blues is is what we kind of call, I guess, I, I hate to use the word normal, but I would say kind of the normal experience. I think something like 80% of women will experience the baby blues, which is essentially um, kind of like changes in mood, irritability, sometimes anger, um, crying spells, all of these things that occur within usually the first one to three weeks postpartum. Mm -hmm. And it should get better over time. Like over those three weeks, it should start to be be, uh, less intense. Um, And then if it doesn't get better, or if those types of symptoms seem to be getting worse, or if you start developing more symptoms, which we can talk about in terms of postpartum depression, then that's when we say, you know, it's, it's time that you should get evaluated by uh, a medical professional to look and see if this is actually something that fits more into the postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety criteria, in which case it was, it's an illness that can be treated. So right. that's the good news that it can be treated. Yeah. I get this question a lot from moms and some of the distinguishing factors that I think really help it stand out in their mind is like you said, they have teary spells in baby blues, but like there are also moments of happiness. Their predominant Mm -hmm. mood is not Mm -hmm. tearful and very low, right? Right. And as you said, it alleviates over time by like the two, three week or so, because I'll have a lot of moms say, you know, like I'm six months postpartum and I'm I'm struggling and I think it's baby blues, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if it's persisted that long, it's not alleviating and it's not getting better, then we're talking something maybe more along the lines of postpartum anxiety or depression or something, something else that's going on there, right? Mm -hmm. So I find that those are really helpful to distinguish. Yeah, the time period piece. And then I like what you said, too. That's an important point that one of the hallmarks of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety is having trouble connecting with the baby. And Mm. um, because your feelings are so overwhelming, that overshadows any of those moments of you know, tenderness or happiness, or even, you know, feeling of feelings of joy, women that have postpartum depression, anxiety, just really aren't able, don't have the space for any of that positive, um, interaction with the baby. And, Mm -hmm. and then, and then there's a lot of shame around that too, because, you know, they kind of feel like, well, I'm a new mom and this is supposed to be the happiest time of my life. And why aren't I so excited to have this new baby that I wanted so badly? So one of the things that I do when I see patients is provide a lot of education around the fact that this is your depression, this is your Mm. anxiety that's causing you to feel this way and that's causing, that's inhibiting you from really feeling those positive moments with your baby. And once Mm -hmm. we get you feeling better with treatment, you'll start to have some of those positive experiences. So I think that that really helps alleviate some of the shame and kind of take the pressure off too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that some of the moms who are maybe like 
extra prone to feeling that shame of, I really wanted this baby is moms who go through fertility issues Mm -hmm. and they work, you know, tirelessly and they invest money and they invest so much time and mental energy and resources into having this baby. And then this baby comes and it rocks their world. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the shame of like, Oh, what did I get myself into? Or this is more than I expected. And does that mean I don't love my baby? Maybe I really wasn't supposed to be a Mm -hmm. mom, Mm -hmm. you know, these Mm -hmm. very real shameful kind of questioning moments where really it could just be some postpartum depression or anxiety and it's no reflection on your actual ability to mother this child, right? Totally. And and you're exactly right. Women that are going through fertility struggles are particularly high risk for postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, the research shows that the longer that you're in, that the longer that you're receiving fertility treatment, the higher risk you become for for developing postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. Mm. Um, a few months ago, I, I did an Instagram campaign called um, Moms Need to Know with a Motherhood Understood and, and Momming with Truth, who is an amazing illustrator. Mm-hmm. And we included um, a section on um, for women that are going through fertility treatments because I think you're right. You know, there's this sense that... Um, when you're going through it, that once the baby comes, once you get pregnant and once you take home a baby, that everything's going to be better, that all of your problems are going to go away uh, because you've been in this struggle of trying to get pregnant for so long. And then it's devastating when women find out, actually, this is a whole new set of struggles <laughs> right, <laughs> that come right. up and, and they've really kind of like idealized it in their minds. So they're not prepared for, um, for the ups and downs that come with with having a newborn. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a good yeah. point. And I think that's so much like so many things that we go through as women prepare us for getting pregnant and delivering baby. Mm-hmm. But can I tell you, I had zero knowledge and experience and training on what motherhood actually was going to look like. For mm-hmm. Me. Mm-hmm. And like it mm-hmm. rocked me, you know, in a way that I never <laughs> really anticipated. And mm-hmm. Um, we're going to get into that a little bit because I'm very open about my journey, you know, through the podcast and everything with my journey of postpartum depression, Mm -hmm. um, that I experienced with my third baby. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of these statistics and, you know, if it, if we have it, does that guarantee it again or Mm -hmm. can we prevent it and all these types of things? Um, but yeah, I, I had probably some anxiety with my first, my second wasn't like a really low key baby. So Mm. really adjusted well. And my third, just like. Um, it's kind of, I describe it like the wheels started to fall off kind <laughs> of thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like things were in motion, things were moving. I felt like I had adjusted to the other two and it was a lot. Don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. um, the third happened and I kind of felt like the wheels just started to fall off the van. You know, mm-hmm. like it just started mm-hmm. to come apart for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so one question I do get a lot and we can start to transition into like, can this be prevented. I know moms are anxious and they want to know. And and is that something that has even been researched? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So when we talk about prevention, one of the things that we talk about that goes hand in hand with that is who is at higher risk? Um, And what we found is that prevention techniques seem to work really well for women that are high risk. So maybe it, it would be helpful to talk about the risks. The risks, right? Yeah. To first kind of um, get it, dig into that question. So 
there's many different things that can put you at risk for postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. And I also should say that um, because risk is sort of a medical term, and so folks that aren't in the medical profession might not totally understand, just because you're high risk doesn't mean you will definitely get it. And just because you're low risk doesn't mean you definitely will not get it. It's just sort of a scale that we use to say, who are the who are the women that are more likely to be prone to developing this condition? So one of the biggest risk factors is having any other prior history of mental health issues. So depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, and it doesn't have to be in the perinatal period. So it's not just a risk of postpartum depression with your first kid. It's, it's any depression or anxiety at any time in your life. That's a really big risk factor. Um, the other big risk factor is having depression or anxiety during pregnancy. So if you're having depressive symptoms or if you're having anxiety during pregnancy, even if it's not to the full clinical level, uh, that puts you at higher risk for developing postpartum depression or anxiety. That one is interesting, actually, because I even personally found that one very tricky. Because when mm-hmm. you're pregnant, especially if you're a first-time mom, like mm-hmm. it happened more with my third pregnancy, so it was a little bit different. But um, you don't know what normal pregnancy should feel like. Right. right? right. And if you didn't have depression before that pregnancy and it's sort of onset during this this pregnancy sort of perinatal time, mm-hmm. then you don't know if you're just exhausted because you're pregnant or your hormones or whatever. Right. So I find that is, uh, and like women don't even necessarily know that they can be pregnant as a result of their pregnancy during the pregnancy period because postpartum gets sort of more exposure in that way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it's tricky and it's interesting. And this is why I appreciate um, like if you are wondering or if you have questions or if you have a friend, like encourage them to speak to somebody who's trained in maternal mental health or, mm-hmm. you know, as a woman's health specialist because they can help them distinguish those symptoms during that time. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the keys too, is that it's a very um, layered topic. It like it involves having a full discussion with somebody who is trained in women's mental health, because um, oftentimes it, it's not totally clear. You know, it's something that you mm-hmm. need to kind of get into all of your own specific risk factors. Um, and I think that social media is great and I found it to be super helpful for sharing information um, and educating women. But the bottom line is that if you're worried about this, then you really need to talk to your own healthcare provider, even your OB. Many OBs now are very sensitive to mood and anxiety issues during pregnancy. So, right. Or would know where to refer you exactly. to go if they didn't have right. that experience. Right. Right. For sure. Um, so some of the other risk factors are... Um, one of the other biggest ones is having conflict with your partner. Mm. Um, and so that's something that, you know, lots of couples struggle with. And obviously there's a huge transition period that goes into getting pregnant and having a baby. So, so knowing that kind of your relationship with your partner can affect your risk of ending up with postpartum depression or anxiety And then one of the other, or a couple of the other ones are things that people don't necessarily think about, but actually can be considered stressors. So like getting a new job, moving to a new place, any type of big changes or transitions during this time period also can put you in in higher risk. They also um, can lead to decreased social support. So that's Mm. the other big risk factor. So we know the research shows that women who 
don't have social support or who have poor social support are at higher risk for developing postpartum depression or anxiety. We also know that as we'll get into kind of the prevention piece, adding in social support can be helpful for prevention for women that are high risk. That is a really, really important topic. I get a lot of messages from wives of expats Mm. or um, military spouses or here Mm -hmm. it's like RCMP police where they like move across the country and essentially Mm -hmm. um, their husband may be transitioning into a new position and it causes them to pick up their life and move and I get messages from expats in like Italy and and they're not Mm -hmm. even a part of that culture or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? And not only do they not have any support in terms of like family they don't know the culture right, they, they don't, don't speak know the language the town, <laughs> they don't speak the language and if you're listening like i hear and see you guys i cannot imagine like my husband's from west africa and we play mm. with the idea of going and living there for a year with the kids and things like that um and it's really my own like being able to adjust to a new culture and totally different lifestyle that you know, might cause Mm -hmm. us to question doing that because kids are so adaptable. I find they're quite young and they go with the flow, but what a social change for a mom. So I see you guys and uh, we'll talk about maybe how we can ramp up some of those social supports, but that's a major, major one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Okay. So those are the risk factors. We're going to talk about some ways to prevent. So before that though, So if someone gets postpartum depression the first time around, now we talked about the risk. Let's let's say that their family has a history of postpartum. You know, maybe their mom has postpartum depression or maybe, you know, they've had some anxiety or depression as a teen growing up or something like that. And they they do or don't end up. There's two scenarios we can Mm -hmm. play out, really. Um, Mm -hmm. They end up with postpartum depression their first time around. Like, does that guarantee that they will get it the second time? Or how do we work with that type of scenario? Yeah. So we can't predict 100% who will or who will not get it. What we can say is if you've had postpartum depression for your first child and you're now pregnant with your second, or, you know, you had it with, you're pregnant with your third and you had it with your first or your second, there's a good chance that you might get it again. So you would fall into the category of women where we would say, look, we really want to get you onto a prevention plan Mm -hmm. um, and get you hooked up with resources and, and doing things, making choices that could help set you up for success. We can't guarantee that you won't get it if you do all these things, but definitely we can decrease your risk. Hmm. I respect that. Like if I put myself in that situation as someone who had experienced postpartum with my, mm-hmm. my previous pregnancy, the fear alone of experiencing that again would be enough to make me like get a prevention plan in place because right. it was not an enjoyable experience by any means and not one that I ever want to return to. Right. And so if I contemplated a fourth, which I'm not, but <laughs> if I did, <laughs> if I did, mm-hmm. um, I would. I would be, you know, meeting with a psychiatrist, reproductive mm-hmm. psychiatrist. I would have these supports in place and family mm-hmm. members and things like that because at the end of the day, um, I have to function. I'm a mom of three kids. Mm-hmm. I have to function for myself and my husband, obviously, but for three dependents and then possibly, you know, that fourth baby on the mm-hmm. way. So mm-hmm. it becomes not so much about me. It is about me and my health, but mm-hmm. it also what really motivates me is the fact that I'm a mom and I have these dependents and I need to be in the best health possible I can for them, right? Right. And and kind of as a side note, we know that 
for women, the postpartum period is one of the high risk times for having depression Hmm. related to the hormonal piece, which we can get into. So, you know, one of the things that I love about being, being a perinatal psychiatrist and working in this field is that it's a time where, where women are motivated to come in for treatment because they recognize that, look, my whole family's affected by this. It's not just mm-hmm. me that mm-hmm. I really need to take care of myself. And so it's, it's really a place where I do see many patients who maybe struggled with mild depression, anxiety, you know, when they were in their 20s, but it was never to the level where they felt like they needed to get help. Mm-hmm. But now during this period, they, they feel a greater sense of motivation and urgency to seek help. And, and I think by delivering that treatment and helping them, it, it is really gratifying for me to know that I'm not only helping one woman, I'm helping her whole family too. I love that about maternal mental health is that like by mom being healthy, you're impacting infants' mental mm-hmm. health and their mm-hmm. development. And moms just are so, they're so motivated to want to figure it out. And, and mm-hmm. they didn't, you know, this is sort of a situational kind of, it's brought on this onset during this time is is because of, like you said, uh, many things going on, but also can be contributed to the hormones and things going on mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to dive into that because it wasn't until, I like I'm a lifelong learner. I feel like I want to also be like a psychiatrist. I want to be, you know, <laughs> I want to have all of the perspectives. Like mm-hmm. I just thrive on knowledge. I love it. And one of the things in the interview with uh, Dr. Kristen Lester was mm-hmm. that um, re- she really connected for me this, like the onset during this reproductive hormone time and, and really kind of made the link for me or the correlation for me between like the hormone changes and stuff. Um, but we didn't get to explore it that much. So I'd love to unpack it a little bit more because this does, this is a higher risk time for onset of depression or anxiety for women. Yeah. And, um, you know, postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety are neurobiological conditions that affect brain circuitry. And all of that is happening in the context of this rapidly changing hormonal environment that happens during pregnancy. So, you know, during pregnancy, uh, estradiol is increasing uh, exponentially and peaks right before delivery. And then once you deliver, estradiol decreases um, pretty precipitously. So there's a ton of research looking at what is the hormonal component that is causing women to have postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. And while we do know that there's all of these different hormonal changes happening with estradiol and progesterone and cortisol, we still don't completely know. You know, it's not as simple as saying there's not enough estrogen in postpartum. Mm -hmm. It's a very complicated relationship and researchers still haven't completely figured out what the relationship is. But there does seem to be a consensus that it looks like there is a subset of women who are more hormonally sensitive. So, So who have a type of postpartum depression that is hormone sensitive. Hmm. And, um, not all postpartum depression. So, so some, the studies have been sort of mixed when they've looked at measuring hormone levels and they've looked at using hormones as treatment. The studies have been sort of mixed. So that tells us that there's some group of women within within this larger group of postpartum depression that fit into this category of having what we call like a hormone sensitive phenotype. And as you probably know, as someone that's experienced postpartum depression and talking to lots of moms, there's such a 
wide range in how postpartum depression and anxiety manifests. Right. Um, So it's, it's really not this kind of monolithic diagnosis. It really, for one mom, it can be, you know, she can't get out of bed. She can't function. She needs to be hospitalized because she's suicidal. And then for another mom, it can be, she's doing everything. She's going to work. She's getting everything done, but she feels miserable on the inside. And, you know, she's, she's really suffering but she's still functioning. So, so there's so many, and for other women, it could be more of, you know, like a postpartum OCD anxiety picture. So, so it looks like as the research becomes more, there's more and more research happening, looking at kind of immune function as well and how that plays into the hormone piece. Um, so there's just so, so much more to learn, I guess, is the takeaway, Mm -hmm. but we do know that these conditions are hormonally related. Um, there is also some research that shows that if you're somebody who has mood or anxiety issues with your period, um, mm-hmm. that you might be higher risk than for uh, postpartum depression or even um, depression or anxiety during menopause, right? Because that's the other huge time of hormone fluctuation for women. Yeah, that's one of the other things that I had learned is that if you really go through those mood fluctuations with PMS in your mm-hmm, period, mm-hmm. and in retrospect, that that was me mm-hmm. for sure. That mm-hmm. was me, and mm-hmm. even now, um, now that I'm more aware to it, and and I I track my cycles a little bit more, and I'm just more I would say mature and in touch with my body, having mm-hmm. had three kids and stuff, uh, I can see it now, and I mm-hmm. know, and I know that if you know for those few days, I'm gonna feel like total crap, and and the you know, I, but I can manage it differently knowing, being able to call it what it is and know what it is. Yep. But those things still happen for me. So mm-hmm. so I did have some of those, like you said, those risk factors. There is history of anxiety, depression in my family, things like that. I don't know, potentially my mom went through some postpartum. There's just things within the family that may have been there. And then with some of these um, like PMS symptoms mm-hmm. and things like that, just mm-hmm. had some of those risks in place. I was luckily very well supported. Mm-hmm. And I also um, am have knowledge in this area. So I could call the symptoms pretty, pretty soon after they came on and, and knew what to do. So mm. my story is um, pretty fortunate in the sense that I, I had interventions within, you know, a couple of weeks and, and I got it all sorted out. Uh, but it really lit a passion in me to help support other women because with all of the knowledge and with the training I had and with the supports I had in place, I still pretty hit, hit a pretty significant rock bottom, you know, yeah, and, yeah. I, and, it, and it really kind of floored me. Like mm-hmm. how with my education, like it's no, these types of illnesses or conditions or changes in our, our chemistry and our makeup during this time are no respecter of persons like you. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter, you know, right. um, but that's not to say that there is not treatment and there's not recovery and there's not community to help support you through these times. Right. One of the great things, if you can say that there's a great thing about postpartum depression or anxiety is that it is treatable and that treatment really does work. And so as a mental health professional, that's something that I, I really want to kind of like shout from the rooftops (laughs) that, that if you can get into treatment and sometimes that means medications, sometimes it doesn't. Right. But it, it will get better. It won't feel like this forever. Um, Mm -hmm. And that there is hope. Um, And that just because you're taking a medication, if you do end up taking a medication for postpartum depression, that doesn't mean that you're going to need to take that medication for the rest of your life by any means. Right. Absolutely. And I, you know what, I got to the place where I was like, even if I did, Mm -hmm. even if I do, you know, Mm -hmm. um, 
my my relationship with my children and my functioning as a mom and as a person would is is a priority over the stigma of being on a medication yep. till yep. I die type of thing if yeah. if that were the you know burden I had to bear as a result yeah. or whatever yeah. um being in recovery is more of an important focus than getting off medication sometimes but mm-hmm. you know that's a whole conversation for another right. day I feel like that there's so the much next podcast. yeah oh totally absolutely because <laughs> there's a whole bunch there but um but at the end of the day you need to take care of yourself and take care of your babies and show up yourself and your family and whatever you need to do that for your recovery and your treatment is, you know, is valid and is mm-hmm. okay. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, you know? Um, okay. So that was a little tangent, a little side <laughs> note. Sorry. Let's, let's get back on track here. So we were talking about, um, hormone changes and hormone shifts. And I appreciate what you said is like, just because we're starting to understand these relationships and these correlations more and that these things are happening at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean that this increase in, in estrogen or whatever it was, um, mm-hmm. necessarily is the cause. Like we can't mm-hmm. determine and nail down a cause for postpartum depression. So therefore we can't say that we can absolutely prevent it with 100% certainty because there's so many variables and there are so many things involved. Right. right. And it's what postpartum depression is what we would call kind of multifactorial, right? So Mm. there's the hormone piece, there's the, uh, you know, genetic piece, there's the sleep deprivation piece, uh, there's the social support piece, which will kind of, you know, can move into talking about prevention. But so Mm -hmm. all of these things, it's like kind of a perfect storm that comes together. Right. If we do have some of those risks, like let's say I do have that genetic predisposition because I do, you know, mm-hmm. for some of that postpartum anxiety and depression, um, how can we bulk up? And let's talk about preventions in these other areas for those who maybe have experienced anxiety or depression and are worried that this is just really going to amplify that for them. Yes. So there's a couple different interventions that are that are evidence-based that the research shows can really help to prevent or at least reduce the risk of developing postpartum depression anxiety. So one of the most important is sleep. And this is Mm. always a bit of a touchy subject Mm -hmm. when I talk about it with patients, because of course, you know, all moms want to get more sleep. So if it were as easy as snapping your fingers and saying, I'm going to get a full night's sleep, like, you know, great. Right. (laughs) So I recognize that it's, this is not a simple, um, me writing a prescription for sleep is not a simple task. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're somebody who is high risk, what I will recommend, even starting with first trimester of pregnancy, is start coming up with what is your plan for sleep, especially in you know those first two months postpartum when you know um, risk of developing postpartum depression is the highest. So mm. one of the pieces is getting four to six consecutive hours of what we call anchor sleep. So you really need at least four consecutive hours to get to REM sleep and to get the type of sleep that actually is going to rest your brain. And so this is what becomes very difficult because for moms who are breastfeeding or pumping, right, they're getting up every two hours or so Mm -hmm. to feed the baby or to pump. So Depending on how severe your uh, risk is or how severe if you've had depression in the past or if you had bipolar disorder, 
then I will be kind of uh, appropriately firm in the importance of getting sleep. Mm. Um, So even if you can't do that every day, and I recognize getting four to six hours consecutively every day is something that may be impossible, but I'll say, you know, let's just say twice a week. Mm -hmm. Can we make a plan for, you know, your partner or a family member or a friend or hired help to come twice a week so that you can get this solid chunk of sleep. Um, I'm so like, sometimes people just word things differently than what's in your own mind. And I'm so (laughs) floored by the fact that like, have a plan for sleep. That sounds so simple. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But realistically, something that postpartum I didn't know to plan for. And Mm -hmm. by the time I got to my second or third baby, my husband and I had a bit of a plan sort of unspokenly or like not communicated, but figured mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. Um, I was breastfeeding. And so he would, on nights that I was having a really hard day or hard time, he would get up and bring baby into me to nurse mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the bed and then take baby back and burp and change and do all the things mm-hmm. um, and like alternate with me throughout the night, getting up and bringing baby to me so that I could try and squeeze in those chunks of sleep because yep. I was a different person yep. when I'd had some sleep throughout the night. Right, right, exactly. I love that. I love coming up with a concrete plan for sleep. How can you guys share this load or how can mm-hmm. you bring in a family member? Mm-hmm. Or uh, And it doesn't, like some people are really passionate about not giving baby bottle or not pumping. But in mm-hmm. my case, like hubby brought baby into me and I didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't have to right. pump. So right. there are ways. And that gives you like an extra plan. half an hour, you know, and, and every little bit counts, right? Yeah. Well, then if it's like, let's say the baby's feeding every two hours and he gets up for one of the feeds, I would, in theory, get like a four-hour chunk. And, mm-hmm. you know, baby on my boob in bed is different than me having to like get up and burp right. and change bomb and do all of those things. So right. I absolutely love that concretely planning for how you can get some consecutive sleep because even saying to your partner, like, this is an essential component to my mental health and my recovery as, you know, in this postpartum phase. Yeah. Yeah. And I usually try and um, talk to partners too, because for whatever reason, sometimes uh, partners are more amenable (laughs) to being supportive when it comes Mm -hmm. from the doctor saying, look, she really needs to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah. So I think having that in your mind, even from the start and making a plan is, um, is one prevention tactic. Um, The second one is social support. And when I say social support, it can mean different things and all of those things are actually valuable. So one form of social support is having help doing actual practical tasks. So all of the tangible work it takes to take care of children and to have a newborn. So Mm -hmm. somebody that can help you with doing the laundry or, you know, um, cooking, cleaning, uh, all of these different things. And then another form of social support is the emotional support. And you really, you need both. Um, they're both equally as important and valid. So what I really recommend for my patients is kind of similar to like the, the plan of making a plan for sleep, like making a plan for social support. So one thing that can be nice is if you can make a list of, you know, like all of your family's favorite meals so that when you have a friend and who texts and says like, what can I do? You can text her that list and say, just pick something off of there. Or like even Mm. your favorite takeout places or your favorite meal delivery service, like kind of just making these things ahead of time so that when you're in that sleep deprived, um, up all night with a newborn state, you don't have to think 
you know, what can I uh, delegate? You're doing it kind of beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that research shows in terms of emotional support, the type that is really helpful is what's called, what researchers called reassurance of worth. So people in your life who are sort of like your cheerleaders that are there Mm. with you kind of saying, wow, like, that's great. You took a shower today. Like, that's great. The baby latched. Awesome. Sort of like celebrating each, each mothering task that you master because, Mm -hmm. right, this whole period of time is just like learning, a huge learning curve. So as you're mastering all of these different steps having people in your life who are going to be there cheering you on. And so some of the ways to get that, if you're lucky and you have close friends that live near you or that you're able to talk to regularly, that's great. A lot of moms don't, don't have that because, you know, their friends live all over the country or all over the world. So moms groups are really helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. And in DC, we were lucky that we have a bunch of different um, organizations that provide moms groups. Postpartum Support International is an incredible resource, and they have state chapters in every state and have support groups. Um, they also have a warm, what they call a warm line, so it's a phone helpline that you can call for social support as well. Um, so these are all different kind of ideas, but everybody sort of has to make their own plan. And, and I do think that social media and Facebook and all the, you know, Instagram, Facebook, these are also forms of social support, like interacting mm-hmm. with other moms. Um, sometimes doing that online is, is actually what's the most realistic when you're at home um, with a baby. Yeah, I've recently actually started offering teletherapy services to people in Ontario and other surrounding provinces. Because one of the biggest challenges for mom is like getting out of the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know when I was home on mat leave, I had three boys. They were three and a half and under. Wow. And I there was no way I was packing up three young yeah. kids by myself in the middle of the winter in their right, snowsuits right. <laughs> to trek out to appointments for myself. Like I right. would have that would have just gone by the wayside. So um there are like I offer telehealth or teletherapy services in, in Canada, across some of the provinces. There mm-hmm. are others in other states mm-hmm. in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so do some research and make sure, yeah, to anyone listening, to find the support that you need because there are different pockets of support and providers and people out there. Um, and like you said, with our platforms that we're building on on Instagram, it's certainly not therapy and it can't no. replace mm-hmm. a one-on-one experience with somebody, but it can help you to feel heard and understood and to know you're not alone mm-hmm. in struggling with motherhood. Because I think there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes with, um, you know, the the frustrations or or how we're feeling and, and feeling maybe moments of, what did I get myself into? Like, mm-hmm. am I cut out for this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a lot of shame that comes with that. So even just knowing and connecting with those online communities to, to know that you're not alone. Other moms feel this way. It's normal and natural to feel this way at times. Mm-hmm. And if it's persistent, that there is help out there to help you enjoy motherhood. Yep. And also yeah. to circle back to um, the point that you made about international families, just to put in another plug for Postpartum Support International, they have chapters in uh, many other countries as well. I love that. So, And they have coordinators who if you, you can reach out to and they'll help provide resources in, in, in country wherever you are. So for anyone who's listening who <laughs> is, yeah. um, you know, in the Foreign Service or, you know, in 
these different international posts. That's a great resource. I love I love that. I'll link all of this, um, like the organizations and things. So we talked about postpartum support. I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, good. And I'll also link to all of your stuff as well. So, okay. So we talked about hormones. We've talked about how postpartum, like, sorry, the postpartum period is vulnerable time for women. Um, so that is really due to those hormonal changes or like we said, it's so many, like it's that big identity shift that's happening. There's so many pieces that make it such a vulnerable time, right? Yeah, I think it really is. I don't think we can say for sure that it's definitely the hormones that are 100% the reason, but they absolutely 100% contribute. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you also are somebody who, uh, was at high risk to begin with are more hormonally sensitive and then you know, move to a new state and don't have social support and, you know, all of these other factors, they can all come into play. Yeah. The other piece in terms of um, prevention is for women who have a history of depression or anxiety and have previously been on medication or have previously been in therapy. The other thing that's been shown to be preventative from a research standpoint is staying in treatment and staying on medication. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure Dr. Lasseter talked about this when she was on, on the show, but, you know, around the safety of medications that it really, this is really a risk risk question mm, yes. because untreated yeah. depression and anxiety have effects on the baby as well. So I actually get a lot of messages and questions about this or comments on posts saying like, Oh, my OB is weaning me off my anti-anxiety medication mm-hmm. before baby comes. And things like that. And because I'm not uh, like a psychiatrist to speak to this, but I am in the maternal mental health field, I say, you know what, like call the postpartum support international, like mm-hmm. repair the hotline mm-hmm. or give them some resources around medication and say, because I think that that's actually dated information yep. depending on the medication and who is overseeing your care, um, the risk of relapse for anxiety or depression, having come off the medication, going into the most uh, um, vulnerable transition of your life, quite mm-hmm. possibly, you mm-hmm. know, is not um, ideal as far right. as I know. It's going to be higher know. risk. Right. Exactly. Right. And there's yeah. studies, I think, you know, the studies that look at this say that in the general population, about one in five moms will experience some type of perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. So that's about 20%. And then if you have had a prior history and you go off of your medication, some studies show that your risk is as high as even 60%, maybe higher. Hmm. So it really, really puts you in, in a category that where we need to really seriously consider staying on medication. And of course, it depends on which medication you're taking. Um, But I think it's important, like you said, to be working with someone who has expertise in this area. Yeah. And that's what I always try and say is like consult a reproductive psychiatrist or somebody Mm -hmm. who has some training Mm -hmm. in maternal mental health and medications because um, the data rapidly changes for these types of things. And we need to be on top of serving our moms with the most current research. Uh, And it's important. It's really important. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Okay. So one of the things that I noticed and that I've also done some research and talked to other moms about, um, and particularly like lactation consultants and nurses, is some kind of correlation between mood changes and breastfeeding, particularly weaning from breastfeeding or kind of when our milk comes in and adjusting to breastfeeding. So I know that this isn't like hugely researched, but there is some. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this area. Yeah. So this is an area where definitely um, it's started to get a little bit more attention. 
sort of the mental health uh component of weaning of breastfeeding. Typically, we see so much in the press around the decision to breastfeed and whether you can breastfeed and all these things. But people forget that actually, when you stop breastfeeding, that also is a big hormonal change. So the way that I think about it is that essentially the perinatal period lasts from pregnancy until you stop breastfeeding, with weaning Mm. being that last sort of hormonal shift. Um, and so for some women that that'll happen after six months, for some women that'll happen after a year, for some women it'll be even, you know, longer than a year, just depending. So if you're somebody who has a history of, uh, mood or anxiety issues around your period, or if you had postpartum depression, you'll definitely be, you should be kind of on guard for that period of time Hmm. around weaning. Um, aside from the hormonal piece, it, it's just also, uh, from a psychological standpoint, it's also a different, difficult time period. And I think that that one of the reasons or one of the ways it can be difficult really depends on if it's your choice or not to wean. So some moms end up having to stop early because they feel like they're not supported at their workplace or they're not supported in their family. Um, other moms have the opposite issue where, um, they don't want to keep breastfeeding and, and it's a relief to be able to stop. So everyone's situation obviously is very different, but I think Mm -hmm. the context, the psychological and kind of social context within how that decision gets made also plays a role in how mom feels about it. Yeah. I so appreciate that. And like we've been saying kind of throughout this interview is that these things are so leveled with so many variables mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. hard to pinpoint exactly what's going on, right? Like, is it the hormonal changes? Is it the fact that my third baby just decided he was going to wean and I'm done <laughs> breastfeeding for the rest mm-hmm. of my life? You know, like what what parts are at play here? And mm-hmm. it, it quite mm-hmm. realistically can be a combination of all of those things. Right. So. right. And I guess the takeaway like from the hormone piece is that there seems to be a subset of women that are more sensitive to the hormone Mm. changes. So whether that's in the perinatal period, whether that's during your period, whether that's around menopause. um, So so some women will have more profound reactions than others. And so I think that's also why it's important to not sort of lump everybody into the same category, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, which sometimes there can be a tendency to do. Yes, because like you said, it has many manifestations or expressions mm-hmm. and not everybody's looks the same. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's quite a, like a scale, I guess we could say, or like a, right, right. a range. Right. Um, one of the other things that was coming to my mind as we were talking was that I did a, an interview, I can't remember what number it was, with Dr. Alice Pickering. And we covered postpartum stress syndrome or essentially adjustment disorder uh, Mm -hmm. in this this postpartum period so that is really interesting because it we can have trouble adjusting to motherhood with all of these other things going on like we talked about there's an absolute grief and grief and a loss around our identity and our priorities and life as we knew it to what life is as a mom. And some people might really struggle with pieces that are shifting in their life. Um, But it might not turn up like a full kind of expression of depression or anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, like I'm not really 
quite feeling depressed, but I'm also, I don't feel like I'm coping like really well and I'm kind of struggling. I would encourage you to check out that adjustment uh, postpartum stress syndrome episode because it might sum up some of your feelings or others are listening and they're saying, this is absolutely, you know, my experience. I know I couldn't get off the couch. I couldn't shower, those types of things. And you know, you're in the right place. But I just wanted to put that out there because you can struggle to adjust to motherhood in a way that is absolutely challenging. And, um, you know, maybe there's something like slight anxieties and things mixed in there, but it's not interfering with your life in such a way that you're not functioning in your daily life. And, and that's okay to accept that and to give yourself room to adjust and to wrestle with this change in your life. And maybe that episode can speak to a little bit more of your symptoms and what you're feeling. So, and you know, at the same time, we don't want to pathologize that. Absolutely, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. all go through our own journey in adjusting to motherhood, and it is a heck of hard, and it is a shift for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the point that you made early on in in this conversation around, are you able to have positive moments? Mm-hmm. That's a really important um you know, question to answer, because if you're still able to have those positive moments, uh, then that's a good sign, right? But with postpartum depression, or, you know, actual clinical illness, those positive moments are really almost non existent. Right. And as the mother doctor on Instagram says that I follow, she says, motherhood is not a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that that mm-hmm. really resounded with me because during that postpartum depression time, it was just like, whoa, is this what life is going to be like? Mm-hmm. Like, is this what I've signed myself up right. for, you know? Right. Um, and not just trying to keep myself together to make it through the day, not being able to cope with really small things in the day that before I would have had no issues rolling off my back. And, you know, if you are not enjoying parts of motherhood, if you're not able to laugh, if you're not able to play with your kids at times and, and find enjoyment in that, then you know, we really need to consider seeking out some help or speaking with someone Mm -hmm. because you deserve to enjoy your motherhood experience. And that's not to say that it won't be hard and there won't be challenging days and days when we want to pull out our hair, you know, we're going to have those moments, but there should be moments of joy mixed in there as well. Pooja, thank you so much, Dr. Pooja. We've enjoyed this. I love having you here. And I just, I feel like I could pick your brain all day long. Um, Why don't we tell people where you hang out online, uh, what you're doing online, what you have to offer them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been so fun for me and I would love to come back at another point. So there's lots of things we can keep talking about. Um, So I am on Instagram at women's mental health doc. And I post all about everything having to do with women's mental health. So I do talk quite a bit about postpartum depression and pregnancy-related mental health issues. But I also talk about all of the other pieces uh, around women's mental health as well. So, um, you know, PMDD, relationship issues, setting boundaries, saying no, how to take care of yourself, all these other topics. And so I think if you enjoyed listening to this conversation, I think that you would um, enjoy my page too. So I encourage you to check it out. Yeah. I love your feed. I love the visuals that you post for people. So insightful and so helpful. And I'm already brainstorming all the things I can bring you back for. So I'm (laughs) sure, you know, that this will be the first of many hangouts. But again, I appreciate you taking the time and thank you for what you're doing in the Instagram space and in your work with women. We value and appreciate you so much. 
Thank you so much, Erica. I appreciate it. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.